This morning we want to think about another implication of being adopted by the living God. So this has been our theme this week, children of the living God, the doctrine of adoption. And we've thought about what it means to be adopted by God, what it means to be loved by the Father, and what it means also to love the family of the Father. There are so many aspects of adoption of which we could speak, on which we could reflect. Uh, The discipline of the Father, or the liberty that the children of the Father now enjoy. Many things. Uh, But one thing that we want to reflect on is imitating the Father. And we imitate the Father's love by loving one another, as we considered yesterday. But any consideration of the doctrine of adoption must include... The fact that we as the children of God are called to be imitators of the Father in holiness. And so the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Ephesians, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And and that comes immediately after he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, one of the chief ways that we imitate the Father as His children is through forgiveness, that is, forgiving one another. Forgiving one another is one of the most important aspects of our holiness. And we need to remember that Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We pray to the Father that way. So forgiveness, forgiving those who have trespassed against us, is one of the most crucial ways that we reflect the traits and the holy character of our Father. And this isn't something that we always find easy, right? I mean, we love forgiveness. We confess forgiveness. We confessed it today in the Nicene Creed. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And forgiveness is beautiful, as we heard in the parable of the prodigal son. We want forgiveness when we've done wrong. We love to receive forgiveness, but sometimes we can be a little reluctant to extend forgiveness. And that's the thing we want to think about today. Uh, As adopted children of God, we are to imitate our Father in the way that our Father forgives. We're to learn to forgive one another and restore one another. And so we want to think about the story of Joseph and his brothers this morning to help us. If you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. And uh, just to set the scene here before we read, you remember that Joseph was the, the youngest of... 11 brothers. He had a younger brother later, Benjamin. But he had 10 older brothers 
And those ten older brothers didn't like him because Joseph was the most loved by the father Jacob and was always talking about these dreams that he had about how his brothers were going to bow down to him and his father and mother would bow down to him. And they had enough of it and one day they just threw him in a pit and decided to leave him there and then decided later, no, let's sell him to some slave traders that took him down to Egypt. And they told their father that an animal had eaten him. They tore up the coat that he had, a multicolored coat that was uh, a gift from Joseph, from Jacob to Joseph. And so they lied. They abused him. They, they trafficked him. Uh, they sold him. They kidnapped him. They beat him up. And they lied to their father. And then you know he went through all of these troubles in Potiphar's house and uh, his Potiphar's wife lied about him. He ends up in prison and then through an extraordinary amount of events in God's providence, he ends up with Pharaoh and the second in command over all of Egypt because of his ability to have these dreams and and his ability to foretell what was going to happen in the future to Egypt with regard to the famine for seven years. So they were able to gather together all of this food. And so that's the scene. Many, many years later, Joseph is grown now. He looks like an Egyptian prince. He speaks the Egyptian language. And there's a famine in the land. And now his brothers come to Egypt to buy food. And he sees them and he's not ready to forgive them. And this is the the scene that we we find in chapter 45. Let's read the, the text. Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, 
so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So far the reading of God's holy word. Now look, this scene should give hope to any family that is dysfunctional. It should give hope to any married couple who argues. It should give hope to any individual who finds it difficult to forgive other people or struggles with bitterness because they've been hurt by others. This scene should give you hope. Because what do we see in this scene? We see a divided family reconciled. We see those who deserve justice receiving grace. We see mercy triumphing over judgment. And we see God working in the hearts of His people, causing them to persevere in the faith and grow in sanctification. Now, as Reformed people, we love the story of Joseph because it magnifies the providence of God and the the sovereignty of God and the fact that God used this terrible situation to bring about something good. And so we we talk a lot about how God sent Joseph there before them to preserve life. And how God worked all things for good. And all of that is true and important. But sometimes we miss the fact that that's not all that this story tells us. Uh, This is also the story of how God restored and renewed the deeply broken family relationship of Jacob, of Joseph and his brothers. And this should fill our hearts with hope because the the people of God, we, are a lot like Jacob's family. And we look a lot like them, like us, 
Uh, They were normal and sinful people who sometimes failed and felt the unpleasant consequences of their sin. And yet, like us, they too were justified by faith alone. And like us, their faith did not always look brilliant. It was not always bright and perfectly on display. And yet, because of God's grace, it was an enduring faith that they had. Like us. And so we can see ourselves in this story as the Holy Spirit brings us in. And the same God who restored and renewed Jacob's family can also bring peace to our broken families and reconciliation to our relationships with others. The same God. So I want us to reflect on three things here, briefly. What the brothers deserved, what the brothers received, and how the brothers responded. First of all, what the brothers deserve. When Joseph reveals his identity, they're not saying, Oh, it's Joseph! Finally, Joseph, you're alive! Joseph! No, they're completely freaked out. It says they're dismayed. They're frightened. They're terrified. Why? Because they deserved justice. Now they're standing before their brother, who is a judge, who's the second most powerful man in the world at that time, and is somebody that they had personally abused, and now they deserve to be punished, and they know he has the ability to do it. He has enough power to have them all killed, and so they're dismayed. Their reaction is that they're terrified by his presence. Why? Because they knew they deserved justice. Like our first parents, Adam and Eve, who, when they knew they had sinned, what did they do? They went to hide. They went to cover themselves. Because that's how justice works. It makes us recognize the weight of our guilt and the fear of punishment. Now, justice is not a bad thing. Justice is an important thing. It's a a good thing. You need justice for any society to function. Uh, We have to live in a world uh, where you get what you deserve. Uh, Imagine a world where there was no justice. Imagine if crimes like murder, rape, kidnapping, human trafficking were never punished. Imagine if a student never got a grade that he deserved, or you were never paid for the job you did. You you need justice for society. It's fundamental for life. We expect it. We expect to get what we deserve, and we want to receive what we deserve due to our efforts. It's the fundamental principle of the law that we all understand because it's been written on our hearts since creation. Justice. And this means that when someone does us wrong, we want justice. We want to assert our rights. That's why you don't have to teach a child, again, how to say things like, that's mine. Stop it. I was here first. I didn't start it. He did it. Justice is written on the heart, even of our little ones. 
We all get this. Having been created in the image of God, we all have an innate sense of justice. A difference, an understanding of the difference between what is right and wrong. It's intuitive and it doesn't surprise us. We want it, except when we are the objects of that justice. When it comes to others, we insist that justice be done. They deserve to pay. But when we deserve the punishment for our sin, we want to defend our actions. Uh, excuses and self-justification come natural to us. Uh, when, when it comes to ourselves, we, we try to justify our sins. Often because we fail to see our guilt, or we don't think of it as, as awful as it really is. But when we see ourselves as sinners and people equally capable of the sins that have been done to us, who rightfully deserve death and have a deep need for mercy and forgiveness, well, often we, do, we feel the way Joseph's brothers did. We become terrified by justice. We realize that we deserve it. And so for more than 20 years, these men had hidden their guilt and stifled their shame, and now it's out in the open, now it's exposed, and suddenly they're discovered, and suddenly they're in trouble. They deserve justice. That's what they deserved. But what did they receive? Well, verse 4, you see Joseph says to his brothers, please come near me. Please come near me. Surprisingly, he speaks words of tenderness. Now, he had the right to bring down the hammer of justice, but instead he decided to show mercy. And, and we would understand well if Joseph were angry with his brothers, if he said something like, do you have any idea what I have suffered? Do you have any idea of the pain I've had to go through because of what you did to me? I haven't seen my father. I don't know my younger brother. Do you know what I had to suffer in prison at Potiphar's house? Now I'm, I've lost my life. I'm now an Egyptian. What were you thinking? If he had done that, we'd understand all that. Because that's how we naturally feel. But he doesn't do any of that. Now before we paint Joseph to be too much of a saint, we have to understand that he was not ready to forgive his brothers. If you read the story, he's not immediately thinking forgiveness. He tests them several times. There's lots of ideas about why he does that, but it's clear that he's struggling with forgiveness, as we all would. But here we see him speaking mercy. After you remember his brother Judah offered to be the substitute for Benjamin. He was moved in the heart. There was gospel in that offer. Judah, of course, the tribe from which Jesus came, who was our substitute. And it's after that that he finds the ability by the grace of God to forgive his brothers. He didn't ju judge them. On the contrary, he showed them mercy and grace. Now, do you remember the difference between mercy and grace? This is really important. There's a difference, and it's fundamental. Mercy is not getting 
the judgment that you deserve. So, for example, if you're pulled over by a a police officer, uh, I can tell you a story of a pastor once who was, who shall remain nameless, Uh, no, it was me, Uh, who forgot his uh, sermon one morning, or actually, it wasn't on my computer when I got to church, made the 15-minute drive when we lived in San Diego. Oh no, need to go back and get it, and drove 15 minutes back on the highway, and then another 15 minutes back, but now we're running late. Now I might miss the call to worship, so I was going faster than you're supposed to go, a lot faster. And on a Sunday morning, there's no one on the highway, and the California Highway Patrol, there he is. Oh no. Pulls me over on the off-ramp. The off-ramp that most of the congregation takes, pretty much the only ones on the highway that morning. And there's the California Highway Patrol behind Pastor Brown's car, the lights. Can you just turn the lights off? No, the lights. (laughs) Congregation going by, looking. All the shame. It's okay. Comes to to the window. Do you know how fast you were going? Officer, I, I was going a lot faster than I should. I don't normally do that. I'm the pastor of Christ United Reformed Church on Mast and Magnolia Boulevard. The call to worship's about to start. I almost said, can you make this quick? <laughs> and he said, oh, okay, okay, and took my identification, went back. Now, what do I deserve there? I exceeded the speed limit, so I deserve justice. I deserve a ticket, which in California is expensive. I deserve my, which happens in California, your insurance rates go up. The shame and humiliation of driver school. The shame and humiliation of my children mocking me while I take driver school. All of that are the consequences of my sin because I transgressed the law. But that morning I received mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting the justice you deserve. Police officer comes back, hands me my identification. True story, as I went to take it, he pulled it back again and he said, what's the last word in the Bible? And I said, excuse me? And he said, Come on, you're supposed to be a pastor, right? What's the last word in the Bible? And for the life of me, I forgot for a second. And I said, "Uh, amen. And he handed me my... (laughs) And he said, slow it down, Pastor Brown. And that was the end of that. I received mercy. I didn't get the justice I deserved. Now, grace is a little different. Grace is not equal to mercy. Grace goes one step further. Now imagine if the police officer at that point had said, and by the way, here's $500, take your family out. Also, I'm going to pay your insurance premiums for the next year, and uh, here's a pass, you can drive as fast as you want. I mean, that would just be bizarre, right? That wouldn't make any sense. That would be like a strange dream. But here's the thing, that's how grace is. Grace is a little bizarre. 
Grace is a little strange. Grace doesn't make sense. So here are his brothers that have done all of this wrong to him. And not only do they receive mercy, they receive grace. You live in Goshen, in the best of the land. You will have want of nothing. You will be provided for. It doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive. And yet that's how grace works. It seems too good to be true. And yet it is true. And this is why the the Apostle Paul says that the preaching of the cross is madness for those who perish. It doesn't make sense that God would die for criminals. That God would die not for the righteous, but for the wicked. It doesn't make sense that God would justify those who deserve justice and judgment and then give them regeneration, justification, adoption, sanctification, and all the best is yet to come, glorification, the new heavens and new earth. All of your debts canceled and riches bestowed upon you. That's grace. Grace means receiving a good gift that we don't deserve. And often in our relationships with other people, we have the opportunity to show mercy and grace instead of judgment. Often there is a choice. And so we need to ask ourselves, what would you have done if you had been in Joseph's place? What would you have done? Uh, Would you have punished them? Or would you have pursued peace and reconciliation? Or would it have been somewhere in between? You know, well, I forgive, but I'm going to be bitter toward you for the rest of my life. And I'll always hold this a little bit against you. What will you do the next time that you suffer from a broken relationship with someone? And what does God want us to do? Of course, there's a place for discipline in the church when a, mem- when a member is unrepentant, but that's a completely different matter. In that case, we're not the judges. God is. Uh, but for our broken relations, and this does not come easy to us, naturally to us, there is always a choice. Pursue peace and reconciliation or not. And God wants us to seek peace and pursue it. And by the grace of God, this is what Joseph did, even if it was not easy at first. And this is really reflecting the traits and the grace of our Father as adopted children. We pray, after all, our Father in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's a prayer that Jesus, our elder brother, taught us to pray. Well, the last thing we want to think about is how did the brothers respond? Uh, The broken relationship of this family began to be restored. And we read in verse 15, he kissed all his brothers weeping, and after this his brothers began to talk to him. Uh, Not because of grace, or not because of judgment, but because of grace, 
shalom in this family was possible again. Peace. It was possible because of grace. And since forgiveness had been granted, there was no place for retaliation or bitterness. Notice the imperative of Joseph to his brothers in verse 24. That there are, let there be no quarrels among you. Uh, do not quarrel on the way, he says. Don't fight on the way. Because he knows what they're going to do as soon as they get far enough on the road. See, I told you. You should know it was your idea. No, remember what he said. And he says, don't quarrel on the way. And there's a real sense, loved ones, in which our elder brother says the same to us as we're pilgrims traveling to Canaan, to the new heavens and the new earth. Don't quarrel on the way. Forgive as your Father in heaven has forgiven you in Christ. Reflect the forgiveness of your Father, the grace of your Father. Be imitators of God as children, the Bible says. Since God has forgiven us, how can we not forgive others? Because it's on the basis of the gospel that we can forgive. Like Joseph's brothers, we too need forgiveness. We need mercy and grace. And that's what we have received in Christ. While we were enemies, Paul says, we were reconciled with God through the death of his son. And all the more now that we are reconciled, we will be saved through his life. Like Joseph, Jesus was abandoned and abused by his own. Like Joseph, Jesus had to descend into a pit. Like Joseph, Jesus suffered so that others could be blessed. But obviously in such a greater way. He had to descend really into hell in the sense that On the cross, he underwent all the torments of hell for you and me. That's our elder brother. That's the one who has forgiven us. And now our reconciliation with God through Christ is not only vertical, but it also is horizontal, like a cross. In the sense that We're to forgive one another. Without Christ, there's no peace with God. And there is no peace between man and man. So as uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together, he said, without Christ, we would not know God and we we could not invoke Him or reach Him. And, And without Christ, we could not even know our brother or approach Him. Because it's our very selves that block the way. But Christ, says Bonhoeffer, Christ opened the way that leads to God and to his brother. Now Christians can live in peace among themselves. They can love and serve each other. They can become one, but always and only through Christ, only in Jesus Christ are we one. Only through him are we mutually bound. He remains the only mediator forever. And today, as Joseph said to his brothers, well, Jesus says to us, his brothers and sisters, please come near me. Come near. He speaks tenderly to us. If you need to find the strength to forgive someone, if you need to find the strength to have peace again 
in your family or in your relationships because someone has hurt you in the past, go to Jesus, your elder brother. He's the one who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is peace with him. And he wants to unload the burden that we carry because of our sin. He wants to give us rest from our lack of peace and reconciliation. Because he remains our elder brother. And so the question is, is there someone in our life at this moment with whom we are in conflict? Is there someone, a brother or sister, that we need to forgive or with whom we need to be reconciled? It is possible to do these things, to pursue peace and reconciliation, to be imitators of God through forgiveness because of what we have received by our elder brother. Look to him, to Jesus, because he's the one that's made peace with God for us and he is our peace with others. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for making us your children through Jesus Christ, your Son. Thank you for adopting us when we did not deserve it. Thank you, O Lord, for withholding the justice and the judgment that we deserved because of our sin, showing us mercy and showing us grace and giving us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the status of adoption, the hope of eternal life, the promise of an eternal inheritance in the resurrection. O Lord, we have received so much as your children. We pray, O Lord, that your gospel, that the good news would ignite our hearts to live in joy, to live in peace, not only with you, but with others, to pursue peace and reconciliation, and to reflect, O Lord, your forgiveness and your mercy. Uh, We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.